Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Hidden Truths. Today, we have Bob Baron, who is going to address the payroll employment report that came up last Friday. Hi, Bob. How is everything going today? Everything is fine. Just cold here in Reno. That's it. That's right. We have winter and lots of snow, which is a good thing. Good for the mountains. Good for the mountains. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about what happened. The payroll report came in. The report to the last Friday was much higher than what markets anticipated. Some of the economics world are now saying that as a result of that, the economy can avoid a recession. Your thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah, we had 263,000 jump in the non-farm payroll report, and that was higher than what was expected, which was 200,000. And now some economists are saying that we can have a soft landing for the economy. That is no recession. Unfortunately, that number that we got, 263,000, is quite misleading. And so you have to get into the details and into the nitty-gritty which the media doesn't do, but I will do it. So the headline number, that 263,000, comes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics payroll survey. This is a survey of large businesses, and it counts the number of jobs. There's a sister survey, which is taken at the same time, and it's called the household survey. It doesn't count jobs. It counts those people who are employed. A person with two part-time jobs shows up as employed in the household survey. It counts as one. If he has two part-time jobs, it counts as two in the payroll survey because that survey is counting jobs. There's a bias in the payroll report, and it goes something like this. Let's say someone gets laid off from a full-time job and takes two part-time jobs to make up, but still doesn't make the income that they had from the full-time job. In the payroll survey, that counts as plus one. You lost one job, but now you've taken on two part-time jobs. So it's minus one for the lost job and plus two for the part-time jobs. And so the payroll survey counts that as a plus one, despite the fact that the person who lost the full-time job is now worse off. The household survey is different. Its results for November were minus 138,000. There were 138,000 fewer people employed. That was in November. And October's was minus 328,000. And if, if we go back and look at the number of people employed in uh, November, it was about the same as what we saw in March. So that's seven months of no real job growth for, for the number of people employed for the employment. We haven't seen back-to-back -back declines in the household survey since the lockdowns in 2020. And since the payroll survey says the number of jobs are rising, and it isn't showing up in the household survey, the rise in jobs has to be because the number of jobs that are created are mainly part-time. And this is verified in the household survey because they ask how many people are working part-time, how many are working full-time. And in the household survey, the number of people working part-time was grew by 165,000 in November. All in all, it really appears that the household survey is a better indicator of the health of the labor market, and it's been negative for the last two months. Unfortunately, 
nobody reports that sister survey that comes out at the same time. They only report the payroll survey. In addition, we, we've had a contraction in the hours worked in the economy. And that's another sign that part-time jobs have been the growth engine because you don't work as many hours when you have a part-time job. In November, the work week contracted and it contracted at 0.3%. Um, and, and that means that the work week was 34.4 hours. And that's at the lowest level since April of 2020, which were the first or second month of the lockdowns. According to economist David Rosenberg, the work week contraction, that 0.3 hours, is equivalent to 380,000 lost jobs. Then again, overtime hours were down, and they were down significantly, 3.1% in November. It's yet another negative sign in the labor market. Finally, employment in the retail sector fell 30,000 in November, and it's down 62,000 since September. We wouldn't be seeing this if retailers were expecting a solid holiday shopping season. They clearly aren't, and the initial reports from Black Friday and Cyber Monday are not good. So obviously those numbers show that employment is not as robust as the payroll survey implies. Are there any other signs, Bob, that you have been noticing? Yeah, there's a lot of other signs. We've seen rapid layoffs in the tech sector. Twitter, they report that as many as 50% of those employees are gone. Amazon is closing locations. Cisco announced layoffs. Facebook announced 13,000 layoffs. Microsoft has announced layoffs. And we've even seen layoffs at Disneyland, at Pepsi. And even in the financial sector, Morgan Stanley announced a big layoff. The first few I mentioned were in the tech sector, and that's the major growth sector for the economy. And so when we see the major growth sector, tech, and we see layoffs in financial and consumer sectors, this certainly isn't a good sign for the economy. And we have this thing called the jolts. This is called, this is name is the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey. That's JOLTS. And this is a favorite indicator for the for Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. And we see in the JOLTS that layoffs rose 58,000 in the latest data. That's October. And it's up in two of the last three months. So layoffs are rising. New hires are falling. They were down 84,000. In October, they were down 238,000 in September, and they're down 820,000 over the last eight months. Voluntary quits, these are take this job and shove it attitude. They were down 34,000 in October, 124,000 in September, and they've been down 403,000 over the last seven months. Even in this most favorite survey of the Fed, it's really showing weak employment. Right, for sure. Yeah. Let's focus on inflation, right? So when the CPI was 7.7% in October. As long as it is high, the Federal Reserve is going to continue to tighten its policy. And that means even higher interest rates than we have today, right? What's your viewpoint on that? The good news is that inflation peaked, and we do expect a steady erosion in the year-over-year -year rate as you said, the CPI is currently 7.7. .7. 
So we think that it's going to fall to the 2 to 3% area by the quarter, fourth quarter of next year. There, there are these things called purchasing manager surveys, and there are many of them. And we find falling order levels, shorter delivery times, falling backlogs, falling prices paid, rising inventories, and lower employment intentions. These are all disinflationary signals. The latest such survey is the Chicago Fed's survey for November. In this survey, 50 is the demarcation between expansion and contraction. Above 50 means expansion, below 50 means contraction. The index is at 37.2, so we hardly ever see it in the 30. In October, it was 45.2. Again, production levels, orders, backlogs, these were all quite contractionary. And delivery delays, which was the hallmark of, uh, of the supply chain issue, it's been down now eight months in a row, and it's now in contraction, so it's below 52. A good lead a leading indicator for the economy is the prices paid index, and that fell 8.6 points in November. Even the employment metric was contractionary, 47 and it's now been down below the in contraction for three months in a row. All in all, this was quite a recessionary report with a disinflation and deflation written all over it. There are two charts that I have, and they show that the supply chain pressures are falling and falling significantly, and that the manufacturing prices, these are prices at the business stage, or what we would call the PI, producer price index stage. And they're falling rapidly and indicates that in, that deflation or at least disinflation has arrived. Right. Yeah. The housing market looks like it is in recession. That seems to fit in with your view that a recession is inevitable. Can you comment on this? Yeah, the housing market is the most interest-sensitive sector that we have in the economy because the housing market depends upon the mortgage rates, right. and mortgage rates are very sensitive to the 10-year treasury interest rate. Every statistic that we see in the housing world is screaming recession. The latest data shows a negative 4.6% month-over-month fall in something called pending home sales. These are newly signed contracts of people putting their houses up for sale. So it was down 4.6 in October, and it's down five months in a row and down 37% year over year. And the chart shows the, how it's been doing in the different regions. And if you look at the right-hand side, you can see that every single region is negative. We see similar trends in home sales for new single-family homes and in new housing starts. These are new construction. And in existing home sales, these are actually completed contracts. So certainly there is a recession that has already begun in the housing sector. Now, on the other hand, the multifamily, these are the apartments, in that sector, things are positive. You would scratch your head and say, why is that? It's because in the multifamily, rents have been rising, which means there's a significant demand for apartments. And in fact, multifamily starts and construction is at a record going back to the 1970s. 
That makes sense. Yeah, obviously, we have seen a big shift in rental prices. As you just remarked, rents have been rising. It seems to be everywhere. It has had a very negative effect on the consumer price index. What do you see about it? Yeah, rents are the sticking point in the inflation picture. And that's because of the way they're calculated in the CPI. It, It takes several months for current trends in rents to show up in the CPI. And that's not because rents aren't falling. It's because of the way they calculate it. Nonetheless, real market rents are now in a significant decline because of the construction boom that I just talked about in the multifamily sector. The latest data that I have is from someplace called the Nationwide Apartment List Rental Rate Index. Big, long name. It fell 1% in November, and it's now been down three months in a row. And this means that eventually in the CPI calculation, we're going to be catching up, perhaps maybe even beginning early next year. And this is going to take a lot of pressure off of the CPI index because rents are a big weight in the index, 33% of it. So as soon as the rents start to catch up to reality in the index, we'll see it start to fall big time. Makes sense, yeah. Are there any other indicators that tell you about the state of the economy right now, Bob? Yes, yes. The consumer credit area has exploded. Uh, All of a sudden, credit card debt has risen quite rapidly. And it isn't because incomes have risen and people can afford it because incomes haven't risen. It's because consumers are borrowing to keep up their standard of living. A good example is putting gasoline in your car. It used to cost 60 to $70 to fill the tank, at least here in Reno. Uh, it used to cost me 60 to 70 to fill it. And now it costs sometimes 110 And like food, too, it, when I go to the grocery store, I use my credit card to buy food. As things become more expensive and I try to keep up my old standard of living, like buying steak instead of chicken, it goes on my credit card and all of a sudden the credit card debt starts to explode. And now we see that late payments on credit cards are rising rapidly in, and that means defaults are just around the corner. So that's another sign that we're in a recession. Yeah, the Fed meets in mid-December and they are expected to raise rates again. What do you think of that? And so they meet next week. And if we go back and look at Chairman Powell, he just spoke at a conference last Wednesday, November 30th. And he said and confirmed what the market already suspected. And that is that the Fed would be, quote unquote, stepping down rate hikes. And as soon as their December meeting, and that means a 50 basis point rate hike is what they're going to give us. And so for the markets, it felt like a lot of relief because we've had four 75 basis point rate hikes in a row, but 50 basis points is still quite large by historical standards. The Fed keeps on wanting to raise interest rates because they're looking at the year-over-year CPI, which we said earlier was 7.7% the last time we measured it, which was October. And it's the number that the media emphasizes. And so the Fed is not look at what's currently happening in the inflation world, because if they were, they'd be looking at the last few months, which are quite low in the inflation world and even approaching zero on a monthly basis. So what I characterize what they're doing as like driving your car 
simply by looking in the rearview mirror. You know where you're going, you know where you've been, you don't know where you're going, and you're likely to crash. And that's exactly what's happening. They need to start looking at the leading indicators where the economy is going, not at the lagging ones. But that's not what they're doing. And Unfortunately, I don't sit on the Fed's FOMC committee. Yeah, I think we're going to have an interesting year of 2023. Yes, we are. Great information as usual, Bob. Thank you very much. I have some final thoughts. And this is really important because the markets are fixated on interest rates. They're fixated on the Fed stepping down rate increases, when they're going to pause, that is not increase them anymore. And ultimately, something called when they will pivot, which means they'll lower rates. Nobody is talking about the negative trends that we now see in the money supply. We learned a long time ago, when I was still a student, that inflation is a monetary phenomenon. Too much money chasing too few goods. So we had a supply interruption, so fewer goods. And at the same time, we had the government giving people free money so more money. And the free money was monetized by the Fed in 2020 and 2021. And during that time, the Fed grew the monetary base at a 60% rate. That was quite significant. And so when they're growing the money supply that fast, we always have inflation. So it isn't a wonder to us that we've had the inflation. But now the monetary base is now contracting. The money supply is now contracting even as the Fed pursues their higher interest rates. And this is done through a process called quantitative tightening, where they're selling the bonds into the market and taking cash out of the banking system. When we had the 60% money supply growth, that led to inflation. So it's no surprise to us that we're starting to see the disinflation and the deflationary trends that I discussed earlier. So it's no surprise to us. So this suggests to us that in the end, by the end of next rates are going to be lower than they are today. And that means that means that the Fed is going to raise them a little bit. And then by the middle of next year, they're going to start to lower. And because they're contracting the money supply and raising interest rates at the same time, I don't think it's possible to have a soft landing. That's just a hope. Um, but it's not real. The recession is coming. In some sectors, it's already here. And 2023 is going to be a recessionary year. Yeah, again, thank you, Bob. It is the time right now where I believe people have to revisit their portfolio, get some sense as to what they own. This is the one thing that you do for free. If anyone is interested, you can leave a comment here under the video in the comment area. Leave us your information. We can contact you or just put a note and we'll contact you. You can also visit Hidden Truths that today, where we post videos and blogs on a regular basis. Again, thank you, Bob, for this information. Extremely valuable, as usual. Appreciate it very much.